Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, April 29th. We are finally past the first ever virtual NFL draft. Time for episode 348 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. I'd like to welcome someone new to the rotation here on Patriots Beat. He is Taylor Kyles, a former scouting intern for Syracuse University Football and an expert film reviewer and writer for Pat's Pulpit and Monster James Devlin fan. Follow him on Twitter at T Kyles. That's T K Y L E S 39. What do you think of the new Carrier Dome plants, by the way? I've got, got to get the, the, the important stuff out of the way, Taylor, because I used to cover Syracuse University football and basketball back in the day, 88 through uh, 92 up in northern New York. And I made a lot of trips through the snow there. I, it was a state-of-the-art building at the time, but uh, it needed a refresh. I knew there was something I liked about you, Trags. Uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly, uh, newer isn't always better, but in the case of the Carrier Dome, as someone who was sweating inside there plenty of games, it could use a little uh, remodeling. So I'm not totally mad to see a little bit of innovation. Um, you know, obviously I love the classics, and it's a throwback for me going there and, you know, being in the games and being in that atmosphere. But um, like I said, honestly, an upgrade – was a little bit overdue, so I'm not complaining about it. So what what did you do there? So uh, what I did was basically I would watch film of the uh, prospective high school players and basically try to give the uh, recruiting staff basically hit tapes, which is like a highlights and lowlights showing what a player's game is like. Obviously, you see the highlights, you get one impression, but when you can get really a full game context, it can tell you something completely different. So that was most of what I did for Syracuse football. Taught me a ton. I met a lot of amazing people who showed me what it's like to be in that kind of environment, How to what things to look for, how to fairly evaluate different types of prospects, different tricks to the trade. You know, one thing when I first started, it was kind of tough when you'd see a lot of, you know, fairly average players and then – you know, you see a guy who's a little bit better than good and you get really excited and you're like, oh my God, this is an all world talent. And sometimes you kind of tone yourself back and be like, you know what, let's take a look back at, you know, the elite kind of level talent and really get a better grasp. So that as an evaluator was hugely impactful for me in terms of getting context for what you're looking at. Obviously, continuously growing, always something new to learn. Um, I know you threw out expert in there. I would never say that. I really appreciate the kind oh, that, of work. That's quite all right. Uh, I, I can throw that word out there because anybody who watched our 
pre-draft coverage on CLNS Media, you uh, and Evan Lazar, the, the way you guys broke it down was uh, next-level stuff. And I, I found it fascinating. I'm sure Patriots fi- fans find it very insightful uh, because, you know, what do you really know? What do Patriot fans really know about all of these draft picks? And when you listen to uh, people talk, like yourselves talk who spend hours and hours and hours studying film and have done so for, you know, programs like in, in your case, Syracuse University football and ACC division one program, a power five conference, you, you get an appreciation. You get some perspective on what you're trying to do. One other thing I'd tell you, Taylor is, and Belichick always says this. It's one thing to watch the film. It's another to watch the player closely when you're in the building or up in the press box. Why is that? I think a big thing to understand is, you know, you you need to understand how a player is being used in a specific scheme, but also, especially when it comes to college, understand that the way they're being used isn't necessarily their ceiling. You know, there's a lot of programs, George Kittle is a shining example. I know Dalton Keene's got a lot of what I think are right now unfair comparisons, but you get players in that mold where it seems like they're not fully utilized in college. I think Josh Uche is a good comparison from this draft class as well. Someone whose snap count was a bit concerning considering he seems like he's got a lot of talent but didn't play as much as you would expect. But sometimes you got to look at what you see on the field. You know, what's his processing like? Is he doing the little things well? Is there an attention to detail even if he's not a lead in any particular area or if there's somewhere where you think he needs to improve? Because these are still young players. A lot of them are coming from programs with coaching acumen that aren't what they're going to see in the NFL because the experience and the pedigree there. So you really need to dilute what, you know, the environment is and really look at the player. And a lot of it is effort. A lot of it is the physical capacities that they have shown. And then having some understanding of what kind of growth they can have over what in the NFL is usually, you know, a three-year jump where it's, you know, when I evaluate, I say, okay, what can this player be their rookie year? What's their projected role? And then three years down the road, where can they probably be, you know, when contract time comes up and they really have established a role uh, in your system? Speaking with Taylor Kyles, a former scouting intern for Syracuse University football, he has now moved on to become a film reviewer and writer for Pat's Pulpit. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at tkyles, T-K-Y-L-E-S 39. Okay, we're going to get uh, full on into the draft picks, the thumbs up and maybe, if not thumbs down, maybe thumbs sideways and the uh, undrafted free agents in a little bit. I want to get your your read on James Devlin retiring and what kind of uh, hole it leaves in the Patriots' offense. Well, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's a pretty big hole. I mean, James Devlin is a full a throwback style fullback that you really don't see in the modern NFL. A lot of these guys like Kyle Juszczyk are really famous and they have a lot of name value and they're very good at what they do, but they're not the road graders. You know, they're not the kind of guys that when a linebacker sees them in the hole, they're like, all right, it's time to really hunker down, put my mousetrap in and get ready for contact because they're not really big hitters. But James Devlin, more than just being a big physical guy who was extremely impactful in the run game, He was a model Patriot on and off the field, and I think that's the thing that he's going to be remembered for. He was versatile. I think that's one thing that endeared him to Patriots fans. He played fullback, tight end. He split out when he needed to when the team went with their empty formations and wanted to create mismatches in the passing game. 
He was an offset back sometimes in the shotgun, caught a couple of passes that way in his career, and he played on special teams. So really, he had so many yeah. passes. You think of great Patriots, you know, you're thinking of the guys that do a little bit of everything. Obviously, he was tough, tone setter in the running game, really gave the offense a physicality when they wanted to pound the rock and establish that uh, in whatever game plan they had that really focused on the run. Smart player. I can't even think of the last time James Devlin did something wrong. You know, you really can't come up with many instances where he missed an assignment or he was the reason the play was blown up. Just the model of consistency. And he was dependable, speaking of that consistency. He only missed two seasons, which were both due to significant injuries. But other than that, he was on the field whenever they needed him. And when he was hurt, you also still saw him on the sidelines. And you know that like Gerard Mayo, his last season in the league, he was helping out behind the scenes. So, I mean, there's so many great things to say about James Devlin. He had a neck roll. I think that may be the most important thing. The thing that I'll remember him for most fondly. Um, but, uh, I mean, pro bowler, three-time Super Bowl champion, hopefully future tight end coach, maybe. I don't know. There's been some talk about coaching. So, <laughs> yeah, we we uh, spoke to him about that on Tuesday. I asked him, uh, because of the glowing praise of Bill Belichick and how he was a leader on and off the field um, and what he was able to provide the team in terms of instruction. And, he, you know, he hung around the team, even though he was on injured reserve. For the for a better part of the year in 2019, would he be interested in coaching? And specifically, would he be interested in sticking around the Patriots? And he said, I want to give back to the game that gave me so much. And that was a classic Patriot um, response to that question, I thought. And, you know, I think if Belichick could find a spot for him on the uh, coaching staff, I think they'll try to keep him around. That is if, um, you know, his family wants to stay here in New England. You know, his wife is from Pennsylvania and there, you know, he mentioned that there might be some discussion um, on maybe staying here, maybe not. So um, they've got to have a family discussion, but I think he's leaning towards staying here. That's where his anchors are. Um, the Patriots do have Jakob Johnson and he was asked about him. I, I want to get your thoughts on whether or not you think Jakob Johnson uh, could come in. Cause I thought he show, showed some flashes of doing a lot of the things Devlin did at a pretty high level considering he was the 91st player on the roster last summer. Absolutely. Physically, I think that uh, Johnson gives you something similar, like kind of an in-between between Devlin and Danny Vitale. He's got more of the athleticism. Not Danny Vitale was an exceptional athlete. I don't want to make it an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but he's more in the vein of an athletic guy who's a good mover than Devlin, who was a little stiffer but gave you more power. And whereas Vitale doesn't really give you as much thump in the run game, I think that's where Jakob really splits the difference. So I think he could be similar to that James Devlin role of filling a lot of different roles as a primary blocker. But at the same time, it's very important to note that it's way too early to tell if he can do it on a week-to-week basis, especially considering that when he had to step into the role, he was hurt himself and really didn't get extended time with live bullets flying around him. So I do like the preseason tape that I saw from Jakob. He had some shining moments when he was playing in the regular season. Too soon to tell what his long-term role will be, but I think that at least if they want to try to have some type of successor in that physical run-blocking mold, uh, Jakob could give them a pretty intriguing option. Dalton Kane, what do you think? I mean, the, the reason I ask that is he did a lot of different things uh, at Virginia Tech. The one thing he didn't do a lot of uh, was ca- was being super productive a- as a tight end. And I'm just curious to get your kind of impression on whether or not you think he can be a really good blocker uh, in space. Right. Well, tight again, quarters, the- I should say. The actually just the opposite. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. And I think again. 
Kittle, Kittle, Kittle. That's his storyline is one of those things where you keep going back to it and looking for examples you can tie into this year. I think it makes it easier for fans to really grasp concepts when it's something that's fresh in their mind. So, again, I'm not saying that Dalton Keene is going to become anything near George Kittle level uh, in terms of his production and his impact in the NFL. But like Kittle, he was someone who showed athleticism, who showed soft hands in college, some yards after catch dominance. But at the same time, they weren't really used that much as pass catchers. So there is a bit of that red flag of saying, okay, well, the coaches there saw them every day. Was it a matter of not wanting to use them that way because of some red flags that you don't see because of their limited use? Or was it really just more of a schematic thing? And when you look at Dalton Keene's numbers, his athleticism and his hands as a receiver, first of all, I think that, you know, he'll be fine. But as a blocker, he has the mentality that you really want to see from guys who need help fundamentally blocking, like George Kittle. He said that he wasn't a great blocker, but he became more technically refined and really just always had the mindset, even going back to when he played wide receiver, of just being a dominant run blocker. And Keen's got pancakes on tape. A lot, some, hmm. of, some of them are, you know, with smaller competition, but he's not going to be blocking, you know, those 320 pounders. That said, he still has the versatility and athleticism to be a trap blocker, to pull and get to the second level. So he can not only do things in space, but I think that once he gets more technical refinement, he can contribute, I'd say more on combo blocks if you want him to block the bigger guys, because although he is 250 pounds, he's a more wiry 250. I really don't think you want him one-on-one at the point of attack. That said, I do think that he could develop into a pretty nasty blocker for the Patriots once his hand technique, his tendency to duck his head, and really a lot of those technical things come together. So, I mean, I'm sure this is no secret to you, and it's no secret to most Patriots fans who watch the Patriots offense in 2019. They miss Rob Gronkowski, the blocker, um, a huge amount in the run game. Absolutely. And if they want a new run blocker, I think the person in that mold is more Devin Asiasi. He's one of my favorite picks in this draft class. He's a true 250-pounder. He does have some bad weight that he's going to need to shed. But he's someone who, when he got his hands on guys, especially when you saw him, again, combo blocking in the trenches, I watched him against San Diego State. He was getting some legitimate movement on some gap concepts, which is really what you want to see because the Patriots' tight ends aren't often asked to block at the point of attack one-on-one against really big defensive linemen. Usually it's it's with more of the lighter edge defenders that you see nowadays. So if they want to go behind Asiasi, I think that's something they could do if they give him a little bit of help right now. Down the line, once his hand placement's better, once he adds a little more muscle and sheds that bad weight, I think he's someone that they could be comfortable running behind in the future. And I think he projects to be a starting wide tight end on the line of scrimmage pretty soon as long as he can get up to speed with the offense because physically I think he gives you more than anybody in that role on the offense. I think he's better than Matt Lacoste who really didn't give you much. I mean, he was solid. No. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dig on the guy too much because he did what he was asked with what he could physically do, but he's not a consistent pass catcher and he's not a very good blocker. He's more in the mold of, as we know that Belichick now likes more of a tight end who gets in the way and doesn't necessarily dominate. But Asiasi, I think, is someone who gives you more at the point of attack and as a pass catcher if he's able to catch up uh, with the offense soon. Well, if, if you can't catch and you can't block, I mean, why are you on the field as a tight end? And I'm asking that half sarcastically, half tongue-in-cheek, but half seriously. I mean, what's the point? Well, last year. <laughs> I mean, why why would you have a tight end like that on the field if if they're not a particularly good pass catcher um, and they're not a physical uh, blocker. They can't take on blockers and dominate like Gronk could. 
Well, it's tough because no one's going to – most people aren't going to dominate like Gronk could. That's really not a common trait you see in tight ends these days. If you want a blocker, then you're probably better off going with six offensive linemen. If right, you're trying to okay. Somebody. Those guys are very rare. Um, so to Asiasi's credit, I'm not saying that he's going to become a Gronk-level blocker. And to Lacoste's credit as well, he put forth maximum effort. You know, he just – even when you watched him with the Broncos, he doesn't have the functional strength to consistently get moving at the point of attack. And again, most tight ends can't. When it comes to him as a receiver, you saw some of what the Patriots liked in him. You saw a bit of that seam threat. You saw him being able to take advantage of opportunities when he was left open. But you also saw bobbles. You also saw some times where he dropped some easy catches. And I think that they were just so barren at that point that they didn't have many other options. And I think Watson was really more of a reliable person for them down the line. But because he was getting up there in age, he wasn't a very good athlete that you saw earlier in his career. And he was more of a a runner that would just hold on just long enough, but really another guy who's not going to get a ton of movement. So I think that was more a product of where their tight end situation was period last year. They didn't have a lot of starting quality uh, tight ends. I'd argue they really didn't have one. They were really just kind of getting by at that position. Um, but this resurgence I think is a very positive. And if both guys can really get onto the offense and stick around, I think the two tight end offense could be back. We've been pining for it for years. People keep uh, seeming to think that it's going to come back or have considered it to come back in the past, like when Bennett and Gronk were here at the same time. But the Patriots didn't really show much of an urgency to get both those guys on the field for the majority of snaps. They've been a three-wide receiver offense since about 2013. So, you know, it's still a projection saying that they're going to do the whole fundamental shift, but we know what this offense is. You're going to put the best players on the field as much as you can, and if Keen and Asiasi can prove that they are the best players to be on the field – on top of being able to create the mismatches schematically that two tight ends can give you, I think that Patriots can fans could be in for a very exciting offense for the next few years. That's Taylor Kyles. He writes for Pat's Pulpit, breaks the film down as well for Pat's Pulpit. And you can follow him on Twitter at TKyles, that's T-K-Y-L-E-S 39. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing the Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and yes, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest this July 4th. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, now to the heart of the matter. Uh, based on what took place for three days over the past weekend, uh, speaking with t- uh, Taylor Kyles of Pat's Pulpit, uh, your impressions, I'm going to ask you for three picks that stood out and three picks that you are TBD on. Go ahead. So I'm going to go first with Josh Uche. He was one of my favorite prospects that they chose, someone who seemed to fit their scheme very well pre-draft, and clearly they seem to agree. He's got an explosive first step in closing speed, the range in athleticism to line up anywhere. He actually played a few snaps at deep men or the I'm sorry, deep middle of the field safety where you usually see guys like Devin McCourty line up, which shows you at 245 pounds and as a primary linebacker how athletic he is. He's got the bend to turn the corner when he uses his speed rush at 
as a pass rusher. He's got a good plan and hand technique, which you like to see, especially from someone who wasn't used extensively on the line of scrimmage. He's an effective pocket pusher when O-Lyman exposed their chest because, you know, when you try to get the edge so many times, what happens eventually is offensive linemen are basically just going to try to catch you and turn you around so the quarterback has a place to step up. But he's very smart at when linemen pretty much give him that open chest. He's just going to push them right back, although he doesn't quite have the power to consistently get home that way. And he also uses his natural leverage very well. He's only six foot one, but he uses that to get under blockers and maintain leverage, which you love to see. Now, what does scare me, I'll acknowledge, is, as I said earlier, he doesn't have experiences in every down player. Now, he didn't play a lot of snap counts at Michigan. I'm not totally sure why that's something to keep an eye on and see how quickly he can progress with the Patriots especially because I think he's best suited off the ball on early downs, and he didn't play it enough against the run in college, where I'm totally comfortable with his processing against the run. But, again, that's yet to be seen. Also, when he's rushing the passer, he tends to get engulfed by bigger tackles because of his more slighter size for someone who is an edge rusher. So, again, no prospect is perfect, but he's got a lot of upside that I think could excite Patriots fans. Linebacker Anthony Jennings, another crazy versatile piece. He's someone who I think is kind of being slept on. You know, he's not a great athlete, and you see that in a lot of scouting reports. So you may think that he's not a very versatile player, but it's the exact opposite. He's got long, strong arms. He can beat blocks very easily. Not a lot of ball carriers are getting away from him when he squares them up. He's got the size and anchor to hold down the strong side, which is where I think he projects early on in his Patriots tenure. I think he could really be on the field day one if they feel comfortable in that Kyle Van Noy role where he's making sure that no one's getting outside him in the running game. He's a good pocket pusher as a pass rusher, not someone who gets home a ton without effort, mostly because he doesn't have a lot of lower body flexibility, but he's going to push the pocket and he really doesn't stop as long as he doesn't get swallowed, which he sometimes can because he doesn't have the best hand use. But to speak to his versatility, he spied Joe Burrow multiple times when LSU and Bama faced off. He's comfortable dropping into coverage. He did that extensively as an off-ball linebacker and on the edge. He's comfortable following tight ends around, but where I'm kind of concerned is if they try to change direction really quickly because of some of his lower body tightness, he gets a little grabby. But I think he's an exciting player that's going to be on this team for a long time. He's more of a run impactor, but he can also give you something in the pass rush game as more of a penetrator when they like to run their stunts and everything like that. And then another player I'm really excited for, like I said, Devin Asiasi. I pretty much talked about him. I'm not going to go crazy into that again. But I think he's someone that gives you the potential to start day one. He's got yards after catch dominance. He's someone who can exploit the seams. You can line him up really anywhere in the slot, online, as an H-back, split him out wide, create some mismatches. I think what the Patriots lacked a lot last year was that matchup weapon. When everything isn't working great in terms of your personnel, sometimes scheme is going to have to help you out. And having a tight end who can dictate coverages and you know create some type of mismatch against safeties and linebackers is something that could give you a huge advantage that they didn't have last season. So that makes me even more excited to see what Asiasi is going to be able to do. So, yeah, three players I think have a ton of versatility that fit the Patriots to a T that I think could possibly have an impact from uh, maybe not day one, but I think relatively early in their uh, Patriots careers. That are a TBD. I'm surprised, by the way, you did not have Kyle Duggar as one of your prospects you're super excited about. I can explain. All right, so he actually leads my list of to be determined because, like, I don't think you can get around the school pedigree. Now, I will say this. At the Senior Bowl, everyone's been saying it. I'm sure it's been on your Twitter feeds. He was a standout player. He proved that he could stand and play with the big boys. I think it was what Belichick said really gave him the confidence to select Duggar with the pick that they did. 
but it's not something you can overlook. And there were some issues, I think, that are going to take some work. He takes the poor angles of the football, his tackling, he doesn't always wrap up and tends to drop his head. In coverage, he can be manipulated if you in off coverage by head fakes and some deception in routes. So I'm not totally sure how quickly he'd be able to see reps on the field. That being said, he's a phenomenal athlete, obviously, elite. His length is fantastic. In the senior bowl, he used that length to shut down my favorite tight end prospect in this draft, Adam Trotman from Dayton. And it was kind of – it made me feel kind of silly because I've been hyping up uh, Trotman for so long, and then he just goes in the senior bowl and Duggar, albeit a phenomenal athlete, completely cleaned house on him. He's a big hitter when he's coming downhill. He's got fantastic ball skills, and he's explosive, which you see not only in his range going downhill and sideline to sideline – but you see it when he's high-pointing balls, using his great ball skills to either pick it off and then use his power turn skills to be a threat in the open field or if it's breaking up passes at the high point. So I do like Duggar a lot, but I think it's something that he's a situation where there are too many things for me to really be totally comfortable with him starting early on. However, I do think he can immediately contribute on special teams, both in coverage and possibly as a returner, and maybe be a man coverage specialist against tight ends pretty early on in his career. And then another guy that I've got, TBD, Dalton Keene, another tight end that I spoke about a little earlier. Obvious reasons. His use was a little questionable. He's got some technical issues that he's got to resolve. But long-term, with his athleticism, with his play style, he's got a really aggressive demeanor, and you know that he enjoys contact and the physicality of the game. Those were intriguing signs. So I think the mental acumen and then seeing how he works downfield and as a consistent pass catcher, the things that you're going to want to see and keep track of. But another promising prospect. And then Michael Onwenu, the guard out of Michigan. He's someone that we haven't really talked about yet. But he's an intriguing prospect because he's actually lost some weight. He's a big guy. Now, he only allowed two sacks when he was at Michigan, none his last year there. And he's someone that you're not going to go through in the run game or as a pass rusher, which you'd love to see. The issue there is he's not the most fleet of foot. Now, when you think of the Patriots' interior offensive line, you think about versatility. So you got to be able to pull as a guard on gap schemes. You've got to be able to move on outside zone and cross defenders' faces. You've got to be able to go out in the screen game and make blocks in the open field. Now, it's a question mark whether he's going to be able to do that on a consistent enough level to be a long-term starter for this team. However, I think if he slides into the left guard spot in the event that Tooney's gone, left guard is a spot that usually has the most help because the three technique, the explosive pass rushes you tend to think of usually align on the right side of the offensive formation to the strength. So the center is usually sliding to the left guard and they get a lot of help. So in terms of pass protection, I don't think he's going to be a huge liability. It's more if he's going to be able to do all the things that are asked in the Patriots system now that he's dropped some of that weight. And if he can still have that, I think his functional strength should be fine. He's a people mover. He's going to get you a lot of good stuff in the running game in terms of moving off the line of scrimmage, power to stall pass rushers. But uh, like I said, that mobility is something to keep an eye out for. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss, and it's Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105. And that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. 
It's only been about three weeks and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to your weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at Awaken180WeightLoss.com. All right, speaking with Taylor Kyles of patspulpit.com. Look, I think the the draft picks, the 10 picks that the Patriots uh, made on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday collectively have been pretty much dissected to death. What hasn't been talked about a lot, um, obviously everybody and their brother and sister know that the Patriots did not select a wide receiver in the draft and they did not select a uh, quarterback, but they did in the hours after the draft ended on Saturday. Uh, they selected two quarterbacks, and one, of course, um, it was uh, Jamar Smith out of Louisiana Tech, and the other one was an interesting pick to me, or interesting signing to me, Brian Lewerke out of Michigan State, uh, and they did take two wide receivers, Jeff Thomas out of Miami, and uh, Sean Riley out of? Syracuse, baby. Okay, let's start there. Tell us about Sean Riley. All right, so Sean is someone who gives you big upside. He was the leading kick returner in Syracuse history. The Patriots don't currently have a clear-cut kick returner. And then you get Duggar, and we'll talk. I'll talk about Jeff Thomas a little later out of my out of Miami. Or I'm sorry, out of yeah, Miami. My bad. Sorry, those Florida schools mix me up. I'm ACC guy. It's all cues for me. But Sean Riley in the kick return game, he gives you explosiveness and really good speed. He's a returner. He's a wide receiver in name. At the pro level, I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to do because he's pretty undersized. He's under five foot ten, under 180 pounds. So he's a guy that you're not going to want taking a ton of contact. More maybe a gadget player, someone who can exploit his speed and pretty decent change of direction ability. But I think if he's going to make this team, it's going to be as a kick returner. Now tell us a little bit more about Jeff Thomas. So Jeff Thomas is one of the few undrafted guys I've really gotten to watch a decent amount of film on. Now, I'm just going to get the concerns out of the way. Obviously, he had some off-field disciplinary issues, I believe, that uh, affected his playing time when he was in college. That said, as a player, there are some bobbles in his game, some body catches that you don't love to see from receivers. I'm not sure he's totally comfortable as a natural receiver. That being said, he's an extremely explosive guy. You can use him as a punt returner. You can use him as more of a gadget player in the way that we saw Cordero Patterson use, where you really just find a way to get the ball in his hands and let him work. Not only is he fast, but he's also, and this is where I think he has the edge over someone like Sean Riley, it's he's dynamic after the catch in terms of being able to make defenders miss with more than just speed. He's a twitchy guy. He made some tacklers, or I'm sorry, intended tacklers, like absolutely silly in college, both with the ball in his hands as a receiver and as a returner. So so I think if there's anyone who's an early favorite to make this team, I'd say Jeff Thomas is at the top of that list as someone who I joked on Twitter that his ceiling is Philip Dorsett and his floor is Philip Dorsett. So when you think of that guy who can really push the uh, offense down the field, I think he could give you that if he works on some of the more technical things. He is a bit raw. And again, the hands are of concern for me. But his floor, if he's someone that you can't consistently rely on in terms of his football IQ and as a pass catcher, I think he's going to be someone who's really more of a gadget player and someone who gives you some value in the return game. All right, Jamar Smith and Brian Lewerke, um, 
the quarterbacks obviously so much made of the fact that the Patriots didn't draft one, but they did sign two, not one, but two, uh, in the undrafted free agent uh, period immediately after the draft concluded. What can you tell us about either one? So full disclosure, these are two guys I haven't done a full deep dive on because I'm still kind of focusing on the draft picks. So I'm not going to go crazy in depth because I don't want to tell you guys anything that I don't know myself. But from what I've heard, Jamar Smith seems like someone who could either be eligible for a position switch or be more of a scout team quarterback who the team uses when they're playing more athletic guys who they're going to have to, you know, account for on scramble drills and things like that. So Jamar Smith, more of an athletic guy. And then Brian LeWork, I think, is more of your traditional quarterback who if the team's looking for a number three who they're not going to have to pay a lot of money to and is going to give them, you know, a decent starter for the practice squad when they're going through uh, opposing teams' offenses, I think that's really going to be more his role. So if you're looking for a QB three down the road, whether it's on the active roster, I think think it's probably going to be more on the practice squad. I think that's the safe bet to go with, especially considering their history with this type of situation. I think that he's probably going to be the practice squad QB most of the time with Jamar Smith, if he's able to stick around, being either someone who switches positions or just a mobile scout team quarterback. LaWork gives the uh, Patriots two quarterbacks with Michigan State uh, heritage. Brian Hoyer being the other. Oh, there we go. It's two yeah. Michigan Guys, like good things Brady Brady's out of the room. He might not have been very happy about. You know, there are those conspiracy uh, theorists out there who are saying that Bill did that just in spite of Tom Brady leaving. Um, Theories are always fun. They may not make (laughs) sense, but they're a good time. (laughs) Um, So, anything else stick out um, about uh, what the Patriots did over the weekend? Draft, uh, undrafted free agents, uh, anything else? What was said? Um, about uh, the way the Patriots are handling this offseason. Anything stick out to you? Well, they signed a guy named Bill Murray who has a <laughs> I saw the picture. I saw the t- <laughs> We have to address that, not only because of the picture and because of the name, which are both fantastic, but because of the stats. He also had six sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss, and four saw that. kicks, which is which is pretty insane. And I'm, again, I need to watch more of his tape so I really get a better feel for his game as to whether he can really two gap effectively. I think the team's got a bit of a hole at nose tackle. I'm not fully confident in Bo Allen. If Belichick is, I'll be happy to eat crow. But from what I saw in his game, I'm not very confident that he'll be able to stand up and really two gap and hold the point of attack on the inside for the Patriots. So it'd be great if Bill Murray could possibly do that as well as give us a little bit of humor and some cool stats to reference from his college career. Um, and then beyond that, they also signed Dejon Scuda, nicknamed Harris from Arkansas, and a linebacker who seems to be in the mold of Juwan Bentley. He, I believe, got their highest contract, three years, $15,000 signing bonus, and $140,000 guaranteed. Now, obviously, these contracts aren't set in stone. You're not going to make the team if you don't earn it. However, that does show you a glimpse into what the team thinks of his role going down the road. So that's And then also, I'm sorry, one more. Miles Bryant, who's a twitchy corner out of Washington. I think he had a really good three-cone time. Someone who just, again, from afar, another guy I haven't gotten to watch extensively. But he reminds me a bit of John Jones and a guy who was undrafted, but he's very athletic. He's a smaller guy who could possibly, at the least, give him special teams value. And at the most, maybe be someone they could bump into the slot. So, again... I need to watch him more so I know definitively, but they definitely got a pretty intriguing crop of undrafted guys, and I'm excited to really research more. We're going to have plenty of time. The season's not starting anytime soon, so we'll have all the time in the world to try to uh, scrounge up some tape of these guys and uh, get a better feel for who has a really good chance to make the team as time goes on and uh, who is really on the outside looking in. 
Okay, buzzword, or certainly one of them over the past weekend uh, of the NFL draft, Twitchy. Explain. All right, so Twitchy, basically, for me, that's an agility and burst combination. So it means that a player can change directions very quickly without losing speed. And really, they don't look labored when they're doing it. You think of a guy like a linebacker like Juwan Bentley. He's not very twitchy. when He, he has to change direction and flip his hips a lot. He tends to slow down, and he looks a bit like he's not totally comfortable doing it, you know, relative to some of the better athletes in the NFL. Right. Um, but then you think of a guy like John Jones, or if you want to think of linebackers who are twitchy, think of someone like Patrick Queen. You know, those guys who stutter their feet very quickly, they look light, they fly around. Those are really those twitchy guys where I think it's mostly just reactive athleticism. I think, you know, I, I just gave you all the words in the dictionary to describe it. But if I had to boil it down, it's reactive athleticism and being able to respond to what the person in front of you is doing without kind of falling behind. So the Patriots signed 16, not 13, but 16 undrafted free agents. That's because um, on Monday they released uh, defensive lineman Keontae Davis and defensive back Obi Melifonwu, uh, and uh, obviously James Devlin retired. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why they had three extra spots to sign 16 undrafted free agents. Yes, and then they I know they need to free up some cap space, and I don't think any of these moves have actually even been made official. So probably, Well, no, they haven't. As of this recording, the Patriots have not uh, released their official undrafted free agent list, so I'm sure they're going to get down to it. Yeah, Belichick's playing by Madden rules right now, so I'm going to let him do his thing. <laughs> so uh, it's been great having you on. What did you Thank learn you so about me? Anything? Uh, fantastic host man I'm, I'm that's what i needed to hear lot. yeah i ramble a lot and i tend to you know go on a little bit long and i love that you kept me on track i really appreciated that because man i could go on forever about you know what what i have for breakfast so i appreciate that and uh in this business about, doing oh, a podcast i said in this business doing a podcast that is never a bad thing taylor <laughs> well, that's true. We do love content, but, uh, you know, you get sick of hearing my voice after a while, but I really appreciate you having me on, man. I've been a fan of your work for years. It's an honor to be here. And, uh, I hope that, uh, you guys enjoyed some of what I said and it wasn't total garbage. <laughs> I hope I gave you I, the I, I can assure you one thing. It wasn't total garbage. I want to thank everybody for uh, downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Taylor Kyles, whom I will be having back on this podcast on a frequent basis. Also want to thank our great sponsors, Bet Online and Awaken 180. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast. Or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.